Welcome to the New Age Sage podcast. Today's guest is Mia Magic. She is a self-proclaimed witch, which I was fascinated by, but I came to find out she has a lot more information than just that. She gave me some insights into female psyche, Christianity that I've never heard before that I'm sure you will enjoy deeply. Thank you so much. Please leave a review if you do like the episode. Enjoy. I'm going to ask a basic question to begin. Uh, I think the way we define words is interesting, especially the word witch. So how do you define the word witch? I define it as someone who lives in alignment with the wisdom of their life. The word means wise. And so the difference between knowledge and wisdom is how we integrate what we learn, how you walk the path, how you exist in your life based on the lessons you've received in your experience. And so for me, I've learned that mother nature is the greatest healer and the mother that we all share and that this planet is a living sentient deity who I can learn so much from and become an even more powerful version of myself in service to. And so for me, being a witch is just about living in alignment with what I've learned. And my greatest teacher has been the great mother and the goddess and the abundance of this beautiful earth and what it means to live in alignment with that. What I'm truly fascinated by is the the story of which one chooses to become a witch or it shows you. What was the journey for you to get to a place where you were 100% in your identity of I, I am this way? It definitely chose me. It was okay. more, it was, I was very magical. I was very fantastical. I read a lot of fantasy books as a little kid. I grew up in the Redwood Forest. So a very enchanted place in general, lots of rivers and spending time wild and feral and naked outside as a, as a kid. And like everyone else, I had been programmed. I thought that the word meant something evil or someone villainous who was trying to extract and take from. And there's a reason why the church made us think that. And it's because they were the ones who were inflicting evil and they were the ones who were extracting. And, you know, people say that like, oh, the Roman Empire crumbled and fell. No, it didn't. It's the Catholic Church and it's living in Vatican City and it colonized the entire planet and like they're doing just fine, you know? And so it's very clear often with so many atrocities in the world that like when we villainize something. We say, this is bad. This is wrong. This is evil. It's actually in order to deflect responsibility or blame from ourselves. And that's exactly what happened with the church. And so I too believed that witches were bad. And I was like, oh no, I'm a wizard like Harry Potter. The origin of the word is the same. They come from the same place. And so I was very resistant and very against it. And one of the things that was interesting is when I first found this hat. Uh, it was the black one first, but I met this girl at Burning Man, this like smoking hot Persian girl. And she was wearing this hat and she was very tiny, but she would weave through these crowds and I could follow the hat. And I was having this very psychedelic experience, totally sober, watching this hat weave through the crowd. And it just was memories flashing and this wild, like, what is happening? And then we did a photo shoot with the hat out at Burning Man on the desert. It's just me and these other two girls and the hat. And we would like stand over it and pray to it. Or I got to wear it. Or we would just do these little different combinations and constellations of working with the hat. And those were my first photos that ever went viral. They were the first photos that anyone responded to in a different way than just like me offering my wizardry or my little like magical way of thinking and my spiritual path, you know? It would be a stark contrast. If it was just me, it was like 
200 likes. And if it was me in the hat, it was like 2,000, 5,000, 10,000. Mm-hmm. And it made me realize, again, like the witch chose me because it made me understand how this symbol, and when you turn it upside down, it's actually the shape of the womb, mm-hmm. which I always love to remember. And then conical hats have been used as like an antenna, as an extension of your auric field, of your energy, reaching you closer to the cosmos. And I realized that, oh, wow, this is this iconic symbol of evil, but that people want to reclaim. They're literally like, they like it. They're interested in it. They want to know what it means. And on a face of like someone who's cute and accessible and offering them a different type of spiritual path, they're yearning for it and they're hungry for it. And I I just witnessed my star, my business, my finances, everything in my life grew and exponentiated very quickly the more I was willing to wear the hat and, and claim the word and be this thing that has been told or sold to society as, as evil and as a villain and as something to fear. And it made me actually more confident and more courageous and helped me release my fear. It made me feel powerful just to be willing to reclaim it. And then I saw the way that it rippled out and did the same thing for others. And it was absolutely incredible to give myself permission to claim this word witch because it really is, it's the wise person. It's the medicine person of every tribe. They exist in every tradition. And and it's really just the greatest evil on earth, which is like the church and the patriarchy. Uh, it's just their story of like the powerful sovereign beings who didn't need them and and had their own internal way of relating to the divine that were a threat, you know, to the status quo that they wanted to create. And so, of course, we would believe these stories we've been sold. But I watched how every day that was being proven untrue for me and watching how my own wisdom was unfolding and manifesting simply by being willing to shift the perspective and go against what we've all been programmed to believe. Yeah, in the pursuit of self-acceptance, you have to fight away the perceived shame of others shaming you. And for your identity, I'm assuming that was a lot of, of shame coming your way. What did it take for you to just kind of say, fuck that, I'm not going to listen to those voices and embrace who you are? I think that's the core journey of any human being, even, even if they're not a witch, is is choosing who they really are in, in spite of all the p- people tell them differently. So how did you do that? How did you get to a place where you could not let the shame of others affect your own identity? What's so interesting is that for me, it actually wasn't as much shame of others as it was my own shame. I didn't get as many haters as you would expect. I didn't get a lot of like, oh, we're going to burn you alive. You know, I get the occasional Bible verse on my YouTube of like, Jesus wants to save you. Here's this like kind of sweet, loving thing from the Bible. And I'm like, cool, thank you. I love Jesus. It's just the people who speak on his behalf I'm not available for. But it was my own fear of magic and of power and of sovereignty. And I think that ultimately, because of this wound to our magic and power, because of the church overtaking our society and the alternative, if you stood up or fought against them or said like, no, I don't want to believe in this version of God. I like my nature-based ways that humans have been operating for the last 100,000 years. I'm going to stick with this. They just would kill you or kill your family or torture someone you loved in front of you. And so it was a very systematically 
established silence. And so that I feel like is actually what lived within me more is the fear of shining really brightly, the fear of being really powerful, the fear of wielding magic, something that we've been told is nonsensical and is just for fairy tales and is for children, but like grow up and be serious and get a real job. You know, I was terrified. My own shame was this abject fear. And I still experience it sometimes. Like when I go out into nature by myself, I still have this like, (gasps) somebody's going to come and get me. Like the other night I was at home in my own house doing a practice, but the practice was so profound. My partner is in Egypt with a bunch of uh, amazing people who I'm sure you know with Garen and lots of, uh, lots of people right now. And, and I had this full access of them, what they were doing in Egypt. And like, there were light beams coming out of my womb and I was like feeling the pyramids inside myself and I was surrounded by hieroglyphs and I was like totally sober in my living room. And there was this terror that someone was gonna like walk in and hurt me in my own house. And that, I think we call it the witch wound in my work, the wound to our wisdom, the wound to our magic that was inflicted upon us, that systemic silencing that occurred. And that's actually the deeper shame that I experience is from within myself, is like my internalized witch hunter, the the inner Voldemort, how that part tells me like to stay quiet or to not speak or to not be big and magical and not believe in the things that I think are possible. And I chose a sort of fierce path through that, which was just acting the opposite. So okay, I've watched what it means for me to believe X, Y, and Z, and these are my habituated actions, and I keep getting the same results. What would it look like for me to take a different action, to do something that opposes those beliefs and those thoughts? And and that was really the the stretch for me. It was like, okay, where's my comfort zone exist? Let me take a leap of faith beyond it. And then Annette would appear. Okay, let me take a leap beyond this next layer of my comfort zone. And sometimes like Annette doesn't appear and you fall flat on your face, but that old version of you dies and you rise reborn as something different. And sometimes you take a leap of faith and you grow wings. And so that was really how I did it was everything that I felt shame about. I just met it head on and I was like, I'm going to take the opposite action of my habituated pattern and what even in my current belief system, I think is right or I should do. And I would just do something different. And I I watched my neural pathways rewire and I watched as every single time I would follow what I like to call my intuition, mm-hmm. miracles would occur. And magic started proving itself to me over and over again. And that's really, it just like let the shame melt away. And some of it still exists. You know, there's still moments where I know that if I walked into a s- certain circumstance or situation wearing this hat, like I know people would judge me, but I don't care really. And I'm at the point where I feel so grateful to have been chosen by this mission and this word and the, the mother goddess that has been eradicated from religion. Like it takes two to tango. There's no father without the mother. The father was born from the mother. So being in service to her, I just I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and what the divine wants of me in this lifetime. And so I, yeah, have spent years eradicating that shame. And now I get to walk with my head held high 
wearing a pointy hat. <laughs> Do you ever think you were persecuted in a past life? Oh, of course. Because for Absolutely. me, for me uh, something I had to deal with is I was, I was killed multiple times in past lives for telling the truth. So that's like the karma I carry. Whenever I want to speak up about something, I do it, but I'm always like terrified. Doesn't yeah. make any rational sense. So I've had to clear that. Do you think you were persecuted in the past lives? Is For that coming sure. up right in those moments? I think that's why we're here doing this in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it looks like. And that that is the witch wound. It's like your wisdom, your truth, whatever it was, whatever sage counsel you felt like you needed to share with your people in any of those lifetimes, it gets you killed. That's, that's just the truth of how it happened. Even the um, one of the Caesars who spoke out against the church, he was the first ruling emperor of Rome to say, actually, this is corrupt. Like the systems are working against you. This is not right. He mysteriously killed himself the next day after saying this, you know? So like, I, I believe that yeah, that silencing has has lasted throughout so much time. And and absolutely, I remember being burned. I remember being tortured. I remember being stabbed in the back. I remember being poisoned. Like, yeah, it runs the gamut. And I think that that's why it's such a gift. And even when you ask that question about the shame of others right now, I there's a thread in my consciousness that believes the number of times that I've overcome it is actually why I'm not getting as much backlash as yeah. you would think someone wearing a pointy hat in this day and age would get. But I'm just like, well, I've you've done everything else you can to me, and here I am. I'm still here. So, um, yeah, it's been a really beautiful journey, but I, I so feel that fear. I appreciate you acknowledging it because I think a lot of men have a hard time feeling the witch wound within themselves, however it shows up, whether it's in the truth of your emotions or the truth of your power or the truth of your your joy, like your, your beauty, right? Like every man has a feminine side too. And something that a lot of people don't talk about in these, these persecutions is it's not just you speaking your truth, but the masculine, even like you going to charge my phone, right? Like taking care, providing, protecting. If you were a man in that time and your sister, wife, daughter, cousin, neighbor, whoever, mother, was stripped from your home and tormented and killed, that duty, that obligation of like, oh, my life purpose is to provide for and protect this person, you have failed. And we all know what men who feel like failures do. They lash out, they exacerbate pain and keep perpetuating it. And so a lot of people don't even talk about the witch wound and how it exists in men too. And it's both of these sides. It's like, well, if I stood up for my partner, I was killed. And if I spoke the truth of my own divinity or sage wisdom, I was killed. So what do I do? I just stay silent and stay stoic and don't feel. And that's, I think, a huge part of why men are in so much pain and have then like perpetuated a a world and a society that's in pain and, and mental illness right now. Why were powerful men throughout history so terrified of female spiritual liberation? God, if I could answer that question, I think that I think if we really knew deep in our souls, I think that we'd be in a very different place. There's a lot of different things, right? Like if you haven't done your own work and you get rejected by someone, you can take that really personally as opposed to like, oh, wow, good for you, girl. Like you're not interested in me. Thanks for taking care of yourself. Like, great. You know, um, if a beautiful priestess that you longed for 
denied you access to her sacred temple, you can get mad. Like we, I'm sure you know men who have lashed out when a girl rejects them and or then they treat her like shit or whatever it is. Um, I, so I think that's one thread of it. I think the <laughs> fact that women do create life. And when you go back pre-science, you actually didn't know that it required a man because like a woman doesn't show her pregnancy for months. So she could have sex in December and not look pregnant until March. So we didn't even know that it required a man for a woman to become pregnant. It just looked like, oh, she just like, she's making a baby now, you know? And so I think that that is the true nature of power in its essence, the capacity to create life. And I think that, you know, I experienced already just in these moments with you, I don't feel like you feel intimidated by women. And I talk to a couple of women who are friends with you and they all speak so highly of you, but not all men feel like that. If a woman is in her power, it can be intimidating because we are just this fecund, infinite, eternal expression of aliveness. And when a woman is vibrant and like knows that within herself, to me, it's magnetic and I'm drawn to it. I'm like, those are the kind of queens that I want in my life. But I think it's a variety of things, you know, hurt people, hurt people. And so when we're perpetuating pain, you can also really poison someone else's mind. And again, going back to if you spoke out, if you if if we were brothers and you were beating this woman or whatever, and I spoke out against you, you would just take the other three dudes that are on your team and kill me. Mm-hmm. So there, there was just a massive lack of safety for anyone. And I, I don't, I can't answer that question. I wish I could, but I, I believe that it's, there was pain. There was a pain point somewhere. Someone experienced some kind of pain that they were working tirelessly to eradicate from themselves. And I think that's what we see in the modern world with like the plundering and pillaging of the earth, this beautiful resource that gives us absolutely everything. And now it's all just for financial gain and no concern for sustainability or longevity or humans, like even people have become capital at this point. Um, and I think that that's a result. You, you look at these billionaires, I'm sure you know people like this that just have all the money in the world and yet are so empty inside and do not feel fulfilled and do not feel happy. And it's proof that money can't buy that kind of joy and happiness. And so I think that those people who are hurting the earth now, you know, they just come from this lineage of pain that hasn't been healed because we're not taught how to do it. No one says like, hey, go embark upon a really deep initiatory spiritual path and you'll be able to eradicate these wounds and live the kind of magical reality you've always dreamed and fantasized about. They teach a very particular path that has nothing to do with interpersonal alchemy. And that's why people can make a lot of money and still be totally miserable and then perpetuating pain on other people on the planet. And my experience with with men, maybe to give my answer for it, is that the more I didn't shut down my own divine feminine, the more I could appreciate the external reality of it, right? So the more I, I cultivate space to be in a frequency of love and and do things in that feminine space, the more I could appreciate the external world, right? So I, I have dreams where uh, I'm thankfully skilled enough to analyze my dreams and I have the symbol of the, the divine feminine be mad at me in my dreams. She would w- walk away, be disgusted. It was usually when I was uh, in a player phase or yeah. I was disrespecting females or I was just like always working hard and always lifting weights, which I, I do half the time. Um, and I take those 
experiences as, as opportunities to connect deeper. Mm. I think men just have to get to a place where they can respect their own femininity and, and nurture it, nurture it and love it. And in yeah. that space, it can grow to the external. Maybe that's the that's the solution. I mean, absolutely. That was I was talking with a sister about manifesting partnership recently, and that's what I did was work with my inner masculine. How so? What'd you do? I just worked with how do I create structures and systems and more discipline and I was very like floaty and like goddessy and oh my spiritual practice is the entire day and this is so fun and I'm dancing and doing pleasure rituals and just like so in my feminine I had no masculine structure or direction there was no container for the energy it was wild and sometimes it would be leaky and people would get intimidated by it and it's like now at least I feel not contained but held I feel very held and supported by my own inner masculine. And I had to work on that because I worked so much on coming into the full divine feminine. Okay, what is my pleasure? What is my body love? How do I feel open? What is my receptivity to God, goddess, the divine? And so I knew that really deeply. I was very well versed in femininity. And I had just abandoned the masculine And that's why we're in the state that we're in in the world, like you said, is because the masculine has abandoned the feminine and we cannot abandon one another. We must be in harmony. We must be united. We we are literally, physically, energetically, emotionally, spiritually designed to operate synergistically, to come together and create more than the sum of our parts. And so, yeah, I think that's a really, that's very likely. But who knows how that happened, you know? If I could, if I had a time machine, that would be the one place I would go back to is like, how did this really occur? And one of my favorite books is called Alphabet Versus the Goddess by Leonard Schlein. And uh, he was a surgeon, like this epic doctor. And he took a sabbatical to study how this happened. And what he said was that when we operated in pictographic or hieroglyphic language, it's like symbol of bird equals bird, symbol of wave equals wave. And then when we started using written language, it would be like, okay, this particular symbol makes this sound. And when you put this symbol with all of these symbols, then it means this. But if you put this symbol with these other symbols, it means something totally different. And that took a completely separate part of our brains. So we went from operating in the creative feminine side of our brains, our right brains, with how we received language and information from the world around us into very abstract masculine thinking. And his theory is that that shift in the way that our brains operated is what then shifted us from having the nature of God or the goddess being this divine feminine mother that births us all into this very punitive, rigid, masculine energy that's not, it's not even like a good father, you know? He's like very unkind. And if you do anything, like he's gonna cast you out. I'm like, I had a pretty great dad and he was pretty accepting of me and encouraged me to be who I am. And that's the kind of father we could all use. And I think that's what's what's lost in that, divine feminine energy that now just became like the god is masculine it's like well where's the where's the love and the holding and the nurturing so that's part of it how can men revere the divine feminine like what can that man do to make her experience better well within themselves i think one is just like feeling your feelings there are tears, whatever you've been through, there is likely sadness that you were never encouraged to express or release. There is so much beauty and creativity. You know, a lot of, I've worked with so many men, clients who wanted to be a zoologist or wanted to be a painter or wanted to be a dancer. And 
they were shut down by their family or their society. Like, do not do that. Men don't do that. You need a serious job. You need to be, uh, you know, the provider. So for me, it's about creativity. It's about sexuality. It's about emotions. And it's about nature. I think a lot of men are very separated from nature, from trees and plants and laying down upon the earth from the energy of mountains. And when you look at like mountains rising, very masculine energy, trees that rise up, very phallic, like very masculine energy, lakes, rivers, very fluid, very feminine, right? Vines and different flowers, very feminine. Nature has this gorgeous balance all the time. And most of us are separate from nature. But for me, it's about being deeply connected to your body. I think that's such a powerful thing for men. Most men are very much in their minds or just not in their hearts and not in their sensations, like their sensual aliveness. We think of pleasure or enjoyment in our body as just sexual rather than sensual. We've been given these five or six senses for a reason, right? And so I think that those are some really easy ways for men to get back into connection with their feminine side, connect with your body, be in movement, know what emotions are actually present, give them space, let them be heard and felt and seen and received without judgment, without shame, right? That's, I think, one of the biggest things that men experience is shame of their own feminine sides. And then they perpetuate that and then they feel even worse about it and hurt. And so, you know, that's why I think it's such a blessing for men to have safe spaces where they can be themselves with other men and really held in brotherhood. And there's so many different things, but yeah, creativity is a great thing. Do you want to sing? Do you want to dance? Do you want to make music? Do you want to paint? Like what would be a way that you could just give yourself over to creativity? Because that is the essence of the feminine. When it comes to the treatment of women, how is that different? Like, I appreciate your answer because it's like an internal yeah. way and then that can, that can magnify outwards. So when, when it comes to the actual treatment of, let's say you're dating a, a divine feminine type woman, what are some requirements that a man should do to keep her uh, not suppressed? Oh, my God, I love you. Great question. Well, the biggest thing is really understanding what particular frequency that divine feminine queen needs, right? So some women have had their sexuality suppressed and they need a really safe space to either be really wild or really soft and really held tenderly. And that's super important. Like for me, that was a big thing that my partner had to learn is like around ritual and I want sex to be ceremonial and I want it to be intentional. And that doesn't mean that there's not space for just like wild lovemaking. There absolutely is, but, but he had to learn a whole new way of operating that was like what I needed in order to feel safe. Um, I don't think it's about just like opening doors and things like that. I think it's more about connecting with that woman, understanding where her pain points have been in past relationships. Has she been cheated on? Okay, well then she's going to need you to be loyal and faithful and she would rather have you be honest and truthful and share what's really going on or like, hey, actually like I'm seeing a couple of other people. So I just want you to know that, um, you know, if we decide to be intimate, I'm, I'm still engaged energetically with other people. Just being transparent is so so healing to the feminine because we're so used to people just like playing games and always looking for the grass to be greener and never being satisfied. Um, I think whenever a woman does express herself, if she gets upset or she gets frustrated or if she's, if she's triggered, 
if you can hold this is a big thing that my partner and I work on with our therapist is like, if you can hold that internal masculine regulation of like, okay, I can have compassion for the fact that she's triggered instead of me responding with a trigger and reacting and getting like back. It's like, okay, wait, can I just hold this? Can I exude masculine presence and just be like, wow, she needs whatever it is. She needs a safe space. She needs to be held. She needs to know that her tears are acceptable and like, I'm not going to villainize or shame them. And when you can do that, usually the process of just getting the thing out in a way that's safe will actually alchemize the trigger itself because most women just have never even experienced that. Um, don't ghost people. Tell them what's going on. I'm I'm so blessed. Like my partner is so he never played any games. I I was celibate for three years before we met. So I was like really getting very clear about who and what I wanted. And then I I got, you know, most of those things. Um, but I've been talking to so many single friends lately who, you know, are doing the dating app thing and people are just like disappearing. You have these like beautiful conversations and then they just disappear. Just tell someone. Just say, hey, this is why I don't think this is aligned or um, I'm feeling really drawn to this energy over here or like offer feedback too. I think that's such a thing that people take so personally and is one of my greatest gifts. It's like, I've had people call me up and forward about literally everything and it helps me become better, helps me grow. And so I think that's something that men could really and women as well. Like we could both be a little bit more courageous in offering feedback to someone and say, hey, like this is something that doesn't feel right or feel good to me. Are you open to discussing it or like what's coming up for you in that? You know, where's the the source of that reaction or that desire inside of you? And, and just encouraging and inviting people into a deeper inquiry and inventory of what's happening within themselves. And if you are going to ghost someone or if something isn't aligned, just let them know. Just let them know. I'm watching so many of my friends just like have these beautiful interactions with people and then just poof, they disappear without saying anything. And and to me, that's not like, that's not being a man. Being a man is like, hey, if I'm not interested in you, I'm going to let you know. And I don't want you to be waiting around for me. And and so there's, I mean, the list goes on and on. And also, like, I've been out of the dating pool for four years now. So um, things have really changed. They've I mean, really, it's, really it's changed. It's a mess. Yeah. I do another podcast where it's me and three girls talking about, oh, fun. Talking about dating. And it's a mess. Like, it's just, there's no... The level of wounding nowadays in that is just it's preposterous. It's it's insane. Yeah. Um, and why I'm asking that is if you were if you were single nowadays, let's, yeah. let's start with like someone my age, right? I'm twenty five. It's someone okay. in mid twenties, guy or girl. How would you go about finding your your partner? What, what would you do? Ooh, okay, I like that. That I can do more. I'm like <laughs> the things that the stories I've been hearing lately. I'm like, oh my god, oh, thank yeah. goddess, I'm not in this right now because <laughs> I would be a mess. Um, so for me, what I did was I didn't settle. I refused to engage sexually with anyone who did not meet me where I wanted to be, which was like in a very intentional spiritual way. Again, that doesn't mean it's all the time 24-7, but like that had to be the baseline. What were the requirements? Well, I wanted someone who wasn't intimidated by my power. Like I'm a successful, driven outspoken, like witchy woman. So to meet anyone who I didn't freak them out, they didn't feel like 
emasculated by me. Those were big things for me. I'm a very unique flavor, you know, so I don't want to put that as the overarching thing. Um, But I think in general, like women don't want men to be intimidated by their creative power. And some women have soft power and some women have fierce power. You know, I'm, I'm more on the fierce side. I'm like this. Far. <laughs> there's not, there's a couple of witches I know who are like maybe a little fiercer than I am. But what I did was I said yes to all the things that I was most interested in. So I went to all the retreats and all the events and all the gatherings, obviously in person, where I felt drawn to go. And I did end up meeting my partner at a retreat and it was so fun and so beautiful. And we had five days of just connecting platonically and learning about each other and having all these beautiful, deep spiritual conversations about the things that we were interested in. We're both Geminis, so we're both eternal students and we could just like chit chat about consciousness all day long. And that's what we did. And I had Tantra and witchcraft and BDSM and deep earth magic as my sort of spiritual practices and, and background. And he had Buddhism and Islam and and uh, all of these and very like galactic alien consciousness. Like that was his vibe. And so we just had so much to share. So one is like follow, do the things that you want to be doing. If you want to manifest partnership, keep doing what you're interested in, right? Because then you're going to go to the places where there's other people who are interested in those same things. That's number one. Two is work on the inner expression of the either archetypal or gender expression of the type of partner you're calling in. So if you want a masculine partner, work on your inner masculine. If you want a feminine partner, work on your inner feminine. Connect with your emotions, your creativity, your sensuality. Then for me, it was also really about making sure that I had the things that I expected from a man. So, you know, like I wanted a man who wasn't going to be intimidated by my power or intimidated by my success. So I had to make sure that I wasn't either. And I had to strive for even higher and even more and keep going and dive deeper so that I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm not hiding. I'm not shying away from this. I'm not pretending to be anything other than who I really am. And that I think is the essence of it as well for everyone, no matter what you're doing, right? And you said this at the beginning is being your authentic self, being who you truly are without the beliefs and the programming. You know, this is my version of it is this wildly magical forest creature. That's just like who I wanted to be as a little girl. That's what I looked at as this magical way of living. And so now that's what I'm striving to do and be in my in my modern life and I think that that's the most important thing is if you can watch the relationships the habits the jobs the ways of spending money the ways of expressing about your life and your reality that you operate in that are actually different from what you want like does this relationship empower you or does it drain you does this job fulfill you or not do you Say you want money, but then talk about money being the root of all evil or, you know, make choices based on I can't afford it, right? You're acting out of alignment with what you desire to be true. And so that was really the biggest thing for me was coming into as as close to complete and total alignment with not only my inner child's desires, but also the the path of my highest self, of the sage inside of me. What does that look like for me to operate in this empowered, modern way? and then. 
I just felt so safe to be myself. And that was how I magnetized someone who felt attracted to me as I am. Someone who was like down to be with this wildly powerful. And people still say to him like four years later, they're like, damn, bro, I don't know how you do it. And it's because it takes a fucking big, serious man to be able to be a container for a woman like me. And it takes a lot of courage and effort on his part. And I believe that he's capable of doing that because of the courage and effort that I wielded within myself in order to feel safe to be like this in a world where, you know, women aren't exactly encouraged, certainly more so than we were before. We're not just property anymore, but it's still not a an entirely supportive environment for us to be all the way powerful. And so when we can create the safety of that environment internally and then stand in it solidly in the way that we live our lives, I think that's what then allows us to magnetize these other fulfilling aspects of our life, whether it's business or romance. How, How beautiful did it feel to finally call on a man who could do all that? Oh my God. Let's not even talk about him. I'll start crying. Um, Yeah, I'd never had an imprint. I'd never trusted ever that a man could even be faithful. My dad wasn't like that. My dad was a dog (laughs) and cheated on my mom with our maids and whoever he could. And so my first partners, before I like did the work on myself, all did the same thing. They cheated on me. They treated me like shit. They gaslit me and made me think I was crazy. And then the girls would like call me on the phone and I'd be talking to these girls that are like <gasps> with my boyfriend or whatever. And um, and so I had a lot of humiliation too in my former relationships. And I had never met a man who I could trust wholeheartedly. So it was incredibly beautiful and it rewrote my story of the masculine. And I know that it's because of finally learning to trust the masculine within myself. I did figure out how to provide for myself and how to protect myself. Even if that doesn't mean physically, it's like I, by living the way that I am, I'm protecting my inner child who wanted to believe this was possible. And everyone told her she was crazy and stupid and a loser and made fun of her and bullied her and all of that. And by choosing differently, I protect her. And so I really get to see the ways that the work that I did on myself reflect back to me through him. And it was, it was such a gift. I mean, everything in my life has grown and blossomed and, you know, like just exponentiated since we got together because I, I got to witness again, like that work that I did within myself reflected back to me and it gave me hope. And it also has given me hope. I work with so many women now manifesting partnership. Like I'm, yeah, I've done like insane, this love spell for all of these high impact women that's the same work that I did on myself to Colin Bear because he does exist. And I know that there are more men out there like that who don't want to play games and are not trying to run around and would rather, like he, he's actually more monogamous than I am. He's like, I want my one partner to be doing this thing with and be in sacred union and have the Yeshua Magdalene synergy come together of like what we're meant to build. And it's, it's so beautiful. And I just, I truly, I didn't even know that that existed. I was, yeah, I I didn't actually believe all the things that I wanted from a man. I don't think I ever even believed that fidelity and loyalty in that way was something I could have because I just 
thought that all men want to be polyamorous and that's just how it is. And of course they want to fuck other people. Like they're meant to sow their seeds, you know? And, and so he has truly been a new imprint, a new blueprint, a new belief system and a prayer answered that I actually never even dreamed could be possible. Yeah. I'm with you. Thank you for being vulnerable. Yeah. I appreciate it. Uh, Something I see in, in woman is this collective mass golden shadow. What that means is this like repression of the light and power because it has been repressed for so long, right? So a lot of you see this men will constantly complain about this where it's like, how is this beautiful, amazing woman dating this guy? She treats like trash, right? It's yeah. common all the time, right? I think it's because, you know, women are just wired to believe they're not enough and they're not worthy of something special. And it's, I, I see it. I it, What's sad to say is that the vast majority of amazing women I meet can only stand to be the guy who doesn't respect them, right? Just like this mass worthiness issue so how, how did you what were the key things you did in yourself um kind of lay it out to feel that you were worthy of someone who didn't treat like shit hey there i'm gonna give you a break to digest all of this amazing information and in this break if you like what you're listening to please rate and review the podcast thank you well, I had to stop treating myself like shit. Yeah. And I had to stop accepting that. So for me, that was like the three years of celibacy was was a big commitment to not settling. It's like, if this doesn't feel aligned or right, I'm not going to fuck this guy. I'm not going to like give him my body or my time or my energy. You know, we all the like the texting, the the mental energy that we put into like the game of dating is so toxic. There's so many more important issues to be dealing with on the planet. And so for me, I think that the biggest thing was witnessing in, in those former partners and in my relationship with my dad, what beliefs have I then like taken from watching my dad? One of those was men cheat. That's just how it is. Right. And so I didn't realize that I had internalized that enough to not actually believe that it would be possible for a man not to cheat when I met Bear. But if you look at really like the threads and how it's all tied together, what I was doing in my celibacy was not cheating on myself. I was not cheating on the inner child that wanted to be taken care of. I was not cheating on the queen who wanted to be worshipped and wanted to be cherished and wanted to be accepted for all of who she was. It was in the not settling and not being willing to take anything less than what I wanted. That's, I think, the biggest thing is we we feel unworthy. And so then we like, oh, well, it's okay. And we let red flags go. We ignore the signs that tell us not to. And so that was the biggest piece for me was, okay, how am I treating myself like shit? And there was multiple ways. Um, you know, I wasn't eating all the the best foods for myself. Um, I wasn't taking care of my body in a way that honored my masculine side, right? I would like do my yoga and do my dancing and stuff, but I wasn't strength training or lifting weights or whatever. There's like all kinds of different things, but some of the biggest ones are watching your mind and seeing what are these negative things. Like if I, do I look in the mirror and be like, oh God, I look fat or like, oh, my skin today. Even, you know, like the makeup culture is such a big thing. It's like if you're, it's called concealer. If you're concealing your face every day, you are telling your face, you are telling your skin, you're not good enough. You are not worthy the way that you are. No one's going to love you like this. I have to hide you. I have to cover you up. And 
that's a pretty strong message to send to your own skin every single day. And I talk about this with water. We were, you know, just mentioning like being bougie about drinking our spring water before. Look at all the water. The water goes through all these pipes and all these filters and all these chemicals and all these things. And we're telling the water, you're not good enough as you are. You're broken. You need fixing. And water is the element of our creativity, of our sensuality, of our emotions themselves. And it's the same thing that happens to our emotions. We tell them they need to be fixed. They need to be changed. They're broken. You shouldn't be sad. Like, don't feel anything unless it's like kind of a just baseline, you know, uh, monotone level of contentment. But if you get too high and too amazing, or if you get too low, like you're not accepted. And so I really just noticed how I was mistreating myself and how I was abusing myself and how even in connections with men or with other people, like if a feminine body is not ready to be penetrated and she allows herself to be penetrated, you are crossing your own boundaries. You're telling yourself and your body like you're not even valuable enough to listen to. You're not worthy of tending and of care. And so we communicate these things to ourselves through our actions all the time. And that was what I worked on. Even like, this is kind of weird to like talk about with a dude, but fuck it, I guess this is the question we're answering, is um, even in my own self-pleasure practices, I like did a beautiful pleasure ritual with a bunch of sisters the other night. And what does that mean? So it looks different every time, but it's like everyone has their own experience with pleasure. So it's like a masturbation manifestation circle, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a little out there, but it's been one of the most life changing things in my entire existence. So what does that mean? You're all just like masturbating in the same room? Yeah. Like moaning and stuff? That's it. Yep. All the things. Yeah. But like everyone has their own little nest. So I have this like big living room and everyone has like a separate sheepskin and a little pad. Why is that so empowering? Because we've been stripped from our pleasure. You're not supposed to, the only place that you see another woman's pleasure is like in porn, which I don't watch, or like behind a closed door of like she's with her boyfriend and your roommates and you're not supposed to hear it, but you're hearing it, but you're like, oh, should I leave or is this weird? And so it totally rewires. You're like, oh, wait, I celebrate my sister's pleasure. I celebrate pleasure, period. I celebrate orgasmic nature and energy. And so we were doing this pleasure ritual and I had actually invited everyone to my house and I was like, I'm going to lead because I lead sex magic at my retreats, which is a specific breathwork pleasure practice moving up through the chakras for manifestation. You like send your manifestation into the universe. And I just didn't have it in me. I was, I like said to them, I was like, I'm sorry. I know I invited all of you over here, but like, I actually don't have the energy to lead. I don't want to talk. I want to just be in my own practice. And through my own practice, even with all this sensual touch and all this massage and like love and tending to myself, my pussy still did not want to be penetrated. And it's just me. It's my own fingers or body or dildo or whatever. Like, And she was like, no, I don't want that. And I could feel myself thinking like, oh, but everyone else is doing this orgasmic practice. Like I should try and have an orgasm and go here. And this is just like so ingrained in ourselves. We think that we're supposed to like reach this particular end or do what everyone else is doing or let someone else's needs determine what we're supposed to do with our bodies. And that is just a deep wound that obviously even someone who's as deep in this work as I am can still watch. But so I just, I said, okay, girl, like you got it. Then this is not a pleasure practice. This is a healing practice. And I am here with you and I will not penetrate you and I will listen to you. And it's subtle, but it's 
so significant and it's so impactful. And that is the problem that I see with women all the time is that we either cross our own boundaries or we allow others to cross them as if they're not valuable and and they are the thing that allow our bodies and our spirits to feel safe in order to be fully expressed. The controversial topic, but I'm curious on your, <laughs> on your take on it. Um, I think uh, repression of pleasure both on, on the female male side of things is, is a big thing. However, on the same time, I think we're facing an issue with the I don't mean to slut shame anyone, but the yeah. the way women don't even consider the effect male penetration has on a womb. Um, and I'm not I'm going about this conversation with love yeah. and understanding, and I don't want to slut shame, but it's like, what, can you unpack what the effect is of a, a woman letting in a, a man into her womb? Like what that actually does for her energy? So I don't think it's about slut shaming because I think that there are women who energetically feel aligned with someone entering themselves as a celebration of their sovereignty, of their power, of their own pleasure. Like if you can come with a stranger, then great. Like I can't because my body doesn't experience that level of safety if I don't have an intimate connection with someone. If I don't know, like, are you actually going to be here for my heart? Can you sort of that Marilyn Monroe, like if you don't love me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best kind of thing. That's just how my body operates. But there are some women who are like totally fucking here for it and they want to fuck all the time and that makes them feel more powerful. God bless, like go for it. You know, that is absolutely, I think something that if it's your intention to experience stretching into divinity and self-intimacy and sovereignty by making love with as many different people as you want to, then like go for it. For me, I do feel like our bodies, we are literally entered. There is someone else's energy. That means their traumas, their bullshit, their belief systems, their wounding, all of that literally enters into your body. And so for me, I don't want to do that, especially because the cervix, like the pussy is like the gateway, right? And even that, even the pussy is so often just like, hammered into or like and and let me just get in there as opposed to like oh wow this is something that because men you people think like oh men want a tight pussy no men want an engorged fucking juicy turned on pussy but a lot of them are not willing to create that and so the pussy is the gateway she's like the doorway to enter into the portal and so if the pussy is not tended to then even like the entrance itself is going to be energetically it's like breaking through a gate it's like breaking and entering you know like if you welcome someone into your home it's very different than them breaking in through your door right so Entering into that door. And then, yes, like you said, the womb. This is the creative portal. This is where we birth our babies, our businesses, our books, our purpose in every way, our art, whatever it is. It's all stirring in this cauldron. For men too, like it's called the Hada or the the Dantian. We all have this sacral chakra, this womb energy within ourselves. And so from my perspective, it does play a massive role in how you feel about yourself, in how much your mental energy is sort of tied to or corded with someone else. Like if you're letting a bunch of other people into your body and then you notice yourself worrying about what they're thinking or what they're doing or if they've texted you back, it's like it's because there's that thread, that cord that's connected to them. And do you want that or not? Like I just don't want my cords 
running around amok because that that just is distracting for me. I want my chords to be very clear and like they're linked with one person and I I watch the way that that web is woven and I'm I'm in intention and integrity with it. But I do think that women just don't really understand and it's because we've been taught not to. Like rape is not a a sexual act, it's a power dynamic. It's a it's used it's weaponized in war because it's about having power over. And so I think that that's also a big piece that women have been programmed not to understand is that you do have a choice. If you say no, that should be the end of the conversation. And too often, like we get pressured into or like, oh, like, let me just get this over with. Like, I'll just fuck him so that he stops wanting it. It's like, no, we we really do have to eradicate the belief systems within ourselves. And that is hard. It's not fucking easy. But I found during that period of, of celibacy for myself, like those three years of shedding all these old threads of other people and like eradicating them from my life, then there was just this clarity. And I could hear that voice from my body of what she needed and wanted. And it's it's hard to hear because again, it's just been silenced. But I think that you know, women get to choose what is the path for your body, your spirit, your womb. What are you brewing in your cauldron? What are you here to birth into the world? Again, whether it's real children or business book, artistic, creative children, and does your intention of how you want to bring those things to life, does that align with whatever is entering your body and in whatever way that person or energy is is coming into your field? And if it does, then like fuck as many people as you want. And if it doesn't, witness why you would still let it happen. Excavate, inquire, do some inventory around, oh, wow, I didn't actually want to have sex with that guy. Why did I do it then? What story in my head made me feel like if I didn't, X, Y, or Z was going to happen? And what can I do to work on that wound within myself so that then I've alchemized that particular lead into some kind of gold I can use in in my future? You really think there's no negative side of having like 20 threads at the same time one per, uh, as a person? I mean, I don't want to say that it's negative. I think it's a choice. Like okay. everything is something you get to learn from, right? So yeah. if you, if it's dragging you down and you're not doing anything about it, then like, yes, you've chosen to allow it to be negative for sure. But if you feel like having these 20 different threads and the distraction and the like lack of clarity that that creates for you is actually an invitation for you to come home to a deeper level of your sovereignty or whatever, then great. Again, like, yeah, it's not, I just try not to shame or judge anybody for whatever their path is, because I think that we are all climbing the mountain in our own ways. Um, that definitely wouldn't work for me. I one time, like in my early twenties, I had sex with two different guys in a, in a week, and I like had to tell the first one, like, "Hey, I met somebody else, and I'm gonna like go this direction." I felt so guilty and horrible. I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I had sex with two guys this week." And um, yeah, and and even that thread was just more than I wanted to deal with personally. But everyone's lessons are different, and so I think that if if that negative impact of all those 20 threads is something that's going to help you grow into the kind of priestess or queen or goddess that you want to be, because there are old tantric 
and and even like Grecian orgiastic rituals where like you wanted to fuck as many people as possible because you were initiating them and like you were holding your energy as a priestess and you were blessing them and you were awakening men by them being able to touch your womb. So if you are so clear and your energy is so pristine that you actually don't let those cords connect with your mind and they're not dragging your energy out with them, they just come and they like touch the source point and you don't lose anything by doing that and you just are blessing them and that's your belief, then like, fuck yeah, it's all positive. And that's a very ancient Taoist and and Grecian priestess way of of initiating, Egyptian priestess way of, of awakening the masculine. But, you know, that just isn't my personal experience with it. So I think that it really takes a powerful woman to, yeah, not let it be negative if you're, if your energy is is spread around like that. Very nuanced answer. I learned a lot from that. So Good. thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. And in terms of like the um, healthier aspects of, of, of sex, how, how, if you're in a union with someone you love and appreciate, how can you create uh, magic from a sexual experience? You said that, how does it actually work um, step by step? If you were a couple and you're just trying it out for the first time, yeah. what can you be doing to make it like a ceremonial space of magic? Oh, that's such a good question. I mean, just like really tuning in with what your partner needs and wants beyond like the normal acts of sex, right? Like we know about oral sex and we know about making out and we know about penetration. Cool. Great. What are all the other things? Like what are all the other parts? You know, like I'm one of those, like I love just like feather light touches. So if my partner just like drags a feather or a rose or something over my body, even for a few minutes before we make love, I'm instantly more turned on, more acceptable or like more accepting of him entering my space and my field, more ready, like more drawn to him. Simple, easy, little things that really make it magical and amplify the energy is like toning. So that's one of the things that my partner loves to do is, is just using either the specific vowel sounds of each chakra or just like ohms, just oming bringing sound and vibration into, you know, you can sit in yabyum. So like where one partner straddled over the other or just like knee to knee, eye to eye. So eye gazing, very simple visual, like locking in. I'm opening myself to you. You're opening yourself to me. Here we are in reflection. I know you're a mirror and you know, I'm a mirror and you're my teacher and I'm your teacher and I'm your student and you're my student. And we can just like be in that space. So eye gazing, super easy, simple, when Bear and I first got together, we did this eye gazing moment once that like, I just was weeping seeing all these lifetimes together. I was just, it was so powerful. Just breathing, just intentional breathing, whether you breathe in and out simultaneously or sort of in opposing ways, right? Like if I'm inhaling while you're exhaling, then I'm drawing that energy up within me and then pouring it back down into you. And you can change the direction of that and work with cyclical breath or with simultaneous like synchronized breath. Super powerful, really deep and easy. Um, You know, baths, oils, massages. There's so many simple ways. A great tantric practice in some of the OG tantric rituals, you would never actually take drugs or substances. You would just speak truth. So it was like every thought on your mind until there was nothing left. And the freedom that that creates, because then there's no like grocery list or worry about this other person that you're dating or you just like say everything you have in mind and the liberation that that creates, especially for a sexual or sensual or pleasure experience, 
is so otherworldly because there's just nothing like burdening your mind. So it's fully available to be present with what you're doing. So speaking your fears, your desires, and then what you love about your partner, that's a great way to put truth into the space um, or just like processing, you know, like my partner hates having sex after processing. He's like, now I'm out of the mood. <laughs> but some people like to do that. You know, they want to get to the bottom of any issue or tension or trigger that they have. And then it makes them feel closer in their intimacy and they want to make love from there. Yep. Um, there's so many different aspects. I mean, using specific plants, right? Like even just having a nice cup of cacao or a type of tea, like a blue lotus or a Damiana or a Hawthorne tea, some kind of tea that's very known for heart opening, um, doing an intentional MDMA or psilocybin type of journey, right? Where you're, you're going in with the intention of healing, with the intention of eradicating some old belief or something that's hindering your connection and and doing that together is so beautiful. The, the possibilities are endless. I'm talking about your relationship or about your desires and, hey, like, you know, th- these are the places where I want us to deepen and these are the places where, um, you know, where I'm celebrating us and where I feel like we're doing so great. You know, there's, the, there's so many different ways, singing together, dancing together, You know, Bear and I love to, that's like one of the things that if we slow dance, I don't know what it is in me, but I almost always just like start weeping and I just, every little, and it's not even like, it's not like waltzing, it's just like swaying back and forth, holding each other. And sometimes I just, it's just so kind of nostalgic, even for a, a time that I never lived, like I wasn't ever really slow dancing in my past but it it carries this flavor of old romance. And sometimes like if he'll just slow dance with me, I'm just like putty in his hands after that. And I just, I feel so open. My heart feels so connected to him and I'll like cry a little bit. That's another thing is having emotions. Sometimes I will want, to be fucked just because I'm feeling so sad. Like, and I just like, I just want to cry and scream and like have him make love through in those emotions to me. And that's, you know, some men are like, what the fuck? Like, you're crying. Am I hurting you? You know, and like bears just learned that I'm a deeply feeling woman. And sometimes like I want to be held specifically in that way in my feelings so that I can really again, reprogram and, and repattern and be like, oh, wow, my sadness is safe even here. And so there's a lot of ways to make it magic, but, you know, feeding each other fruit, sucking on each other's toes, like, you know, what are the parts of your body that you feel most excited by that don't often get tended to? Can you ask your partner to tend to them? And 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 creating worship, you know, like hand washing and foot washing and just like kisses all over every inch of your body before you even get to the genitals, you know? It's like, there's so many ways to make it magic. When it comes to manifestation, how do you go about that? To manifesting something through sex? Is that possible? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. My, yeah, we do that a lot. Um, so, What's the process of that? Like, how, how, how does one go about that? So the pro- process that I use is working up energetically through the chakras, earth, water, fire, air, vibration, vision, connection to source. So like working up through the seven chakras with breath, with the the archetypal way that you're expressing. So like our earth 
chakra, our root is like, it's primal, it's wild. So that's like where you can really get that energy of your animalistic nature out. Then, okay, water is much more fluid and sensual. How do we wield those two things together? And you can either work with all seven individually or just like blend them and let them be present. Then what you would really just want to focus on the main sort of pinnacle part of manifestation through pleasure is at the point of orgasm, really sending the vision out. And what does that vision look like? You know, Bear and I will we'll talk about the thing. If it's like, um, if we're doing something intentional, we talk about it beforehand. And then at the point of orgasm, we don't necessarily like keep it present throughout the whole experience. But then at the point, point of orgasm, we'll like scream it from the rooftops or like talk about having that thing or like, this is for X, Y, and Z, you know? Um, but it's really about utilizing your high peak pleasure or your orgasmic energy as that erupts from within you, sending the manifestation out with the eruption of that really like highest vibration, most pure, pristine energy that we feel. It's this like bliss that we can generate in our bodies, not instantaneously, but like fairly quickly just through something that feels enjoyable anyways. And so that energy is so powerful to send out with something you're desiring to then call into your life. Makes sense. Yeah. You can use symbols. Like, you can use specific pictures. You can, like, draw a symbol of that thing on your partner to be making love, like, on your chests or right above your genitals. And then it's, like, there in... There's so many different ways to do it. What does the life of a witch look like? You casting spells, your potions, what, what, what kind of things are like stereotypically accurate and what's not stereotypically accurate? For some witches, the stereotypically accurate things like spells and potions are totally the name of the game. That's absolutely the way that some of my sisters do it. I'm so much more of a tantric embodiment type of witch that for me, it's about the healing. It's about like the group pleasure rituals. It's about my connection with nature. That's really the deepest foundation of my existence is my capacity to listen to the voice of Mother Earth, to receive wisdom from the trees, to be purified by the waters, to know that every breath I'm exchanging with the plants around me. Um, And so my life as a witch looks like, you know, waking up and doing yoga and doing meditation and integrating all of the different lineages that I've learned from and created this amalgamation of my my practice and my teachings. And yeah, I I don't cast a lot of spells. I would rather work on the belief systems or the programming that I have that are in the way of that which I desire to come to fruition from the spell coming to me. How would you cast a spell? How's that possible? Oh, I mean, there's so many ways. You like write a rhyming couplet. So like lines one and two rhyme and lines three and four rhyme or lines one and three and lines two and four rhyme. And it's two little lines and it's, you know, even rain, rain, go away, come again another day is a simple spell. It's a simple charm that we talk about for the weather. There's all kinds of things like that. So you can write that spell and, and, you know, put it on your mirror or in front of the driver's uh, sorry, the steering wheel in your car. Like you can have little spells like that. Absolutely. But to me, no spell is ever going to work if your subconscious still believes that you're not worthy of receiving that thing. So that's really where I focus. My work with one-on-one clients is all deep in the subconscious, lots of trans state. That's how, again, when I'm working with women to manifest partnership, it's like that's how we eradicate all of the shit that's in the way. And um, yeah, so it's it's really 
it's very different. I am a very unique type of witch. And that's what my book is all about is how the language of the universe is always communicating to us. It's an exploration of the law of correspondence of as above, so below, as within, so without. So to me, I look around at my reality, like even walking in here and being like, whoa, cool. Like this is all my favorite color. How did I... I didn't know that this man was going to have this like perfect synchronistic color for me. It's the color of my book cover. Like turquoise is my favorite color that has information. Turquoise is a significant color because it's where blue and green meet. Green is the color of the heart chakra. It's the color of the abundance of nature. Blue is the color of water and of purification. And we bring those two energies together and it means something. And so that's really how I cast spells is more by reading the significance of what's happening around me and how I can glean information that then guides me towards knowing what I need to do or what's being asked of me in order to step forward, rise, create the thing that I want to be creating or um, or heal whatever's in the way of it. I'm glad you said the piece about the unconscious. I think one of the mo- main uh, cliches of self-help world now is is like positive thinking or just law of attraction and thinking over the same things. And for me, yeah. it's like if your unconscious is still fully undealt with and all your woundings trapped there, it doesn't matter how many positive thoughts you think, it doesn't matter how many affirmations you say, you're going to keep calling the same shit over and over again. Do you agree with that? Completely. Okay. How does one go about shifting that, right? If you want to, I think most people in this camp are in that space, right? So yeah. what point is positive thinking and affirmations useful? At what point can you say my unconscious is where I'm at? At what point can you be like, I'm going to start saying these spells? Will it be accurate? Is there like a metric one can use to say, I can actually benefit from this? Or should I keep doing more unconscious work? I mean, I always lean towards doing the unconscious work because <laughs> that's just what's worked for me. I think, it's, I think it's the only way I do. Exactly. Yeah, that that's how I feel about it. I mean... Even when you read, like, um, I think it's Joseph Murphy, The Power of the Subconscious Mind, like, it takes thousands and thousands and thousands of repetitions in order to actually convince your subconscious mind of, like, these affirmations that you're working on. You can do, like, one of my—I had a therapist when I was young— for 10 years from, I was in a really bad accident when I was 16 and I literally saw her for 10 years. And my work now is how can I give people the amount of value that I got in 10 years of talk therapy in 10 sessions? Like, what does that look like? And that's why I work with the unconscious and with the subconscious is because I, yeah, I had this coach once who he made me listen to this. I would listen to this recording of myself speaking the affirmations. And then I would wake up in the morning and I would write them a hundred times. And then I would go to sleep and write them a hundred times. And the amount of time it took just to write all these things over and over every single day, this like long affirmation about what I was calling into my life, it took hours. And I was like, why would I not just deal with the opposing belief that's obviously lodged in my subconscious somewhere? And I could deal with that for one hour, maybe two hours, maybe three hours in specifically designed and intended sessions to work with that belief and that part of my subconscious. And immediately I'm going to start seeing results as opposed to like waiting and hoping that these affirmations at some point become my reality. Um, So I just never, I never really like got into the affirmation thing. However, I think there are powerful ways to work with affirmations as spells like in charging your water. So water is on our bodies on the molecular level are 99% water. We're the same percentage of water as the planet, 60 to 70%. The moon controls the tides. 
all the water on the planet, like we are water. We're magnetized to the moon. Women's blood, if you don't have artificial lighting and, and artificial hormones in your body, like I bleed with the new or full moon every single month because I don't have light on at my house after dark. It's like salt lamps and candles and that's it or a fire in the fireplace. Like it's dark at my house if you come over <laughs> after sunset. And so that is something really, really powerful for us to remember. So you can program your water. This is a big thing that I work with and teach all the time. You can program your water with affirmations and then drink that water. This is like Dr. Emoto's work on water. If you program intentions into water, it will crystallize its molecular structure differently than if either it's, again, like, you know, sent through all the pipes and told that there's something wrong with it or has no intention. So you can drink your intentions and affirmations that way. Another great way. Can you give me an example of how one does that? Yeah. So like you just take your water and you hold it. You're like, oh, this water is so blessed with so much pleasure and abundance and peace and ease and grace and flow. And if you want it to be like a, um, a spell, right? It's like, I receive the endless treasure of my unfolding, blossoming pleasure, right? Like something like that, right? You can charge your water with that and you want to feel the feeling. That's what a a big difference with the water is. Like if you feel, okay, what is the treasure of my pleasure and this unfolding and blossoming and I'm sending this energetic imprint into this water and then, and then I'm going to drink a sip of this water every day for the next moon cycle or for the next week or whatever it is. And so I know that that water is holding that vibration for me. Again, that doesn't eradicate the subconscious work, like still keep doing that. But also with the eye gazing with yourself. So doing mirror work where you open, you know, I'm sure you open that portal with yourself, with your left eye, you're looking into the depths of your own soul and spirit. And then you speak your affirmations like that. But what I find to be the most impactful part of that is that you really, when it's just you and you, you really notice, oh, if I'm saying this affirmation, if I'm speaking this positive thing to myself, what is the story that comes up? Like, oh, no, you're fucking ugly. Or like, oh, no, you're stupid. Or, oh, like, you're not powerful enough for that. Or, oh, that's never going to come true. And then that's your answer. That's where the subconscious work is to be done. And then you've got a little bit of a roadmap to what needs to be worked on. And of course, like positive thinking. Yeah, like don't, if you want to manifest money, don't talk about all the things you can't afford. Operate in abundance. But abundance is not just money. Abundance is the generosity of your spirit, of your time, of your connection with people. Like even I was late today, right? And like, you didn't make me feel bad about it. Or you're not like, oh, huff, huff. Like this bitch is taking up my time, right? Like, because you obviously operate in a state of abundance. You're in acceptance. You're like, okay, I trust the flow of the universe. That kind of trust is also a frequency of abundance. And so if we're operating from that state, that is going to be a much more, like positively vibrational impact and communication with the universe or with your subconscious, right? It's like, oh, I'm, even if this trigger is arising or this thing is happening, they're not getting unsettled. They're not getting, oh, okay, wow, I can respond to this differently. And then you teach your subconscious through your actions. And I think that's one of the most important aspects of this work is you can work on your subconscious to then change the world around you and impact your physical reality. 
or you can change the way you operate in your physical reality in order to change your subconscious. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of like that first thing we were talking about with like taking leaps of faith and eradicating my shame by operating and acting in an opposing way to it. And so that's a big way that I've transformed my subconscious is just by not just like positive thinking and love and light, but changing the way that I'm speaking about my reality so that I can then change the way that I think about it and change the way that I act in response to it. At what point does something become dark magic? Have you, have you ever sat with that? Like, what, is there dark magic? Obviously, you work, in the, you work on the lighter side of things, of course, but um, is there dark magic out there? Definitely, yeah. Okay. For me, my, in my... What, team, what is dark magic? Well, I have another kind of nuanced response to it. Um, mm-hmm. But I see dark magic as any magic that has to do with anyone other than yourself. Like any power over any will of another person. So like if you're doing a love spell to a specific person, to me, that's dark magic. Very well put. If you're doing a love spell to attract the perfect person for you and you're working like I was like, that's how I did it. I was like, I'm working with myself, my inner masculine, my challenges, my wounding, et cetera, et cetera. In order to manifest love, it didn't have anything to do with another person. It's just about me. And then magnetizing and creating a reflection of love for myself. Um, you know, I I accidentally did do dark magic one time. Um, I had I had a I'd met a person who was like, oh, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna pay you whatever you want. Like, you I have to work with you. You have to be my coach. This like big powerful entrepreneur, and he was like, I'll pay you whatever you want. And I was like, great. And I did this ritual with my partner at the time. This was like many many years ago. And I did this ritual where we were talking about what I was going to do with this hundred grand. I was like, that's what I want. I'm going to make a hundred grand and I'm going to, I'm going to like, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to create this. And I'm like so excited. And it wasn't, the, the person was never mentioned. He was never part of the equation, but because he was where I knew the money was coming from. And then I operated in this ritual with my partner. It wasn't even a sex ritual. It was literally just an energetic ritual at the time. It just didn't feel right. And the way that the container of our work together unfolded, it just had these textures of like, oh, fuck. And I didn't realize until years later, like, oh, well, duh. Even though I didn't say his name or talk about it being from him or any of this stuff, like I knew that the finances were coming from him. And all of these things that I wanted to do with those finances were were attached, that cord was connected to him. So I'm just like a hard no on any magic that has to do with anyone else, unless they've specifically asked you for it. Like if you have someone who's in the hospital and they're sick and they're asking for prayers or they're asking for healing or they've specifically requested, hey, please, can you do a spell for me or send me some healing energy? Then like, yeah, it's not black magic. They've asked you to do it. But um, I think that, I think that what is happening in the world and I do, you know, you look at the background, like you can Google this, um, where the Vatican, like where the Catholic Church, where they like do their speeches and all these things, the art behind it is one of the most demonic pieces of art I've ever seen. It's so obvious. All the like killing of dragons, like dragons are present in every major mythology across the world. Of course they were real. Like there's no way they wouldn't be real if they exist in every tradition, 
And so much of the art of the church is like killing the dragon, like stabbing them, like burning the witches, all of these things. It's so obvious to me that like this massive evil has just scapegoated and been like, no, 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 we're the ones love and light, all of the things. And I think that it's, even like when you look at what happens in churches, baptism is an ancient rite, far older than the church. Egyptians, Romans, Greeks, um, the incense burning, smoke cleansing, using the herbs, the eating the blood and body of Christ is sympathy magic. Like the church is doing witchcraft literally all the time. Christmas, everything, all of our holy days, Christmas, Easter, both um, winter solstice, spring equinox, they're based on these ancient pagan solar holidays that have been changed into like a, it's about the story of the sun. It's the rebirth of the natural world at spring equinox. It's not like the resurrection of Jesus. It was about the S-U-N sun, not the S-O-N sun. And so I think that I do believe that some of the powers that be on this planet are absolutely using dark magic. I, I think it would be impossible not to be for us to be in this in this state that we're in where like you and I obviously live in a bubble I mean, while I'm like having a pleasure ritual at my house and it's just like a casual Monday, I feel so blessed that this is the life that I'm leading. But I know that 99% of the people on the planet are not living like this. That's my blessing, of course, I can see it on people. Yeah, exactly. And that like 1%, we think of it as like billionaires, but it's it's not, it's something else. And like, we're the like 0.01%. I think most people have entities attached to them. I see them. It's sad. Yeah. A lot of people have these things attached to them. They don't even know. And they're up there basically speaking through them and making them think certain thoughts and behaviors. It's, wow. It goes pretty deep. Yeah. What's a good um, protection spell? Like how, how do we protect ourselves from the darkness? Or is there no way to... I have another nuanced response to this. Go for it. So I don't use protection magic specifically because I think that that implies that I need something to be protected from. Okay. So I believe that if I operate in a state of safety within myself, that I will be safe, which... I've certainly proven in my life, like it's crazy how little hate I get for, yeah, wearing this pointy hat. But like I said, with the Egyptian night the other night, like I was in my own home and became so fearful of someone coming to get me. So that's not to say that there aren't forces and entities and energies of darkness and of shadow. Absolutely. But that's why I respond to this the same way as I respond to everything is like work on your darkness. How do you abuse yourself? How do you shut yourself down? How do you make yourself wrong? How do you, you know, we, I think even like this, this, um, what we see happening with children, right? All of this child sex trafficking, like the most horrific, unfathomable pain and abuse occurring in the world and people are like, oh, I would never do, I could never do that. Like, that's not a reflection of me because I don't, you know, I would never do something like that. And I'm like, how often do you shut down your inner child? How often do you tell them that they can't be fully expressed or they can't be seen or that they're doing something wrong or that they're bad in some way? Like if every single one of us tended to our inner children with the utmost love and acceptance and compassion, that would change. And those people who are inflicting that kind of violence, the ultimate dark magic, ever on children, they are in so much pain and there's not a system that's helping them deal with their trauma and their pain. It just is exacerbated. And so for me, the protection magic is on working with the ways that we inflict abuse upon ourselves. Because yeah. the demons can only feed off what's what's edible. That's right? right. So it's like if you're in fear, if you have wounds, they can feed off them, right? But if you're 
integrating yourself into the light, you have less access points to be fed on, right? So, And part of that is accepting that we all have shadow and darkness. It's not about no one's ever going to be like 100% light. But if you can carry the energy of loving acceptance to your darkness, then it doesn't have power over you. And it's okay for it to be there. Like I said, I still have fear all the time. It's okay for me to have fear, but if I get afraid of my fear or I get shameful of my fear or I try to reject my fear, that's what then creates the like capacity for that. I'm like letting the demon grab onto it or I'm being the demon myself of like, you're bad and wrong. It's like, if I'm like, oh, hey, fear, like I feel you. Yeah, we're letting Egyptian pyramids pour through our womb right now. Like that's edgy. I totally get it. I'm, I, I hear why you're here and I appreciate you. And like, I'm gonna just breathe in the vibration of safety and I'm gonna ground myself on the earth. I was like laying on my living room floor, just like on the hardwood. I'm like, I'm gonna just maintain a sense of safety here for myself and i'm gonna let that emanate out and like that's my protection spell thank you so much for for coming on i see you have a a book coming out soon i'd love to hear about it i do yes it is out it's called intuition again it's about exploring and learning to speak the language of the universe super super juicy lots of important information and full of rituals that are very much aligned and in service to all of the things that we've been talking about in this conversation. So I'm Mia Magic, M-I-A-M-A-G-I-K. You can find all of my things here, Instagram, YouTube, website, everything, Mia Magic. And Intuition is available now. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. I look forward to reading it. Thank you. Of course. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast as well as rate and review. Thank you for listening. 